Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of EdChoice Chats. I'm Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice, and we have today another installment of our monthly tracker podcast. So as many of you are familiar with, I hope at this point, every month we, along with Morning Consult, survey a representative sample of Americans. Every quarter, we survey a representative sample of teachers. But the conversation that we will be having today with my friends and colleagues, Paul DePerna and John Kristoff, is about the most recent iteration of our general population survey. And this is going to be an interesting one. You know, one of the things that we've talked about kind of over and over again on these podcasts is how many of the things that we have been tracking, as one might imagine, taken month by month, how much they've held steady for the past four or five or six months. That's going to change a bit. Uh, on several of the things that we have been tracking that had been holding constant, we saw actually some big changes this month. And we can imagine, you know, we're obviously recording this uh, at the beginning of December. There's lots of stuff happening out in the world, lots of things happening around the election, around the coronavirus. So there's lots of stuff kind of happening in the background. Then it'll be interesting as we sort of have this conversation that maybe some of that stuff is getting picked up now. But I want to start, gentlemen. With a question, you know, we have been asking in our Schooling in America survey, we've asked in every iteration of the tracker podcast that we've done. It's just like a classic question, obviously, of surveying and of polling. It's the right track, wrong track, right? How many people think that the K-12 education is heading in the right direction versus how many people think that it is heading in the wrong direction? And one of the interesting things that we found was during the early days of the pandemic, we saw really big increases in the percentage of people who thought that the American education system, that their state education system, and that they're local, we ask all three of those questions, kind of nationwide, in their state, and in their locality. The percentage of people saying that those three were going in the right direction saw very large increases as the coronavirus sort of swept across the United States. So if we think from when we first started asking this question in January, the, the sort of nationwide right direction percentage was 22%. So 22% of Americans thought that the American education system was heading in the right direction. By the time we asked this in April, it's gone up to 36%. So really substantial increase. And we saw both of those trends mirrored in both local and state opinions. That ticked down a little bit over the summertime, but had basically held steady throughout kind of June, July, August, September, October. But in this most recent iteration, we saw a precipitous drop back down to 23%. So the national right now, only 23% of respondents thought that the national education system was heading in the right direction. Only 31% thought that their state was heading in the right direction. And only 33% thought that their local school district was heading in the right direction. So Paul, I'll start with you. You've been looking at these types of questions for some time now, our resident polling guru. What do you make of all of this? Is this kind of a regression to the mean where we're back to where we started? Do you think that there are some outside factors that are influencing this? What do you think is happening this month? Hey, it's great to be here with both of you, Mike and John. And that's um, a good question. So we have, like you had mentioned, we've been asking this question in our annual survey for quite some time. And then now this past year, we've been asking monthly with Morning Consult for the tracker. And so, you know, what we've seen historically in our annual polling, that that right direction response, when people are thinking about K-12 education nationally, has been in that 25 to 30 percent range. So, you know, the dip that we've seen, this, you know, 10-point slide 
on the national right direction response. I mean, that's pretty significant. And we haven't seen that kind of movement, certainly on an annual basis in our Schooling in America poll. But even, you know, looking at the over the last year and on our monthly tracker, we haven't seen inflections and any increases or decreases of that, you know, of that magnitude. And so that is something that drew my eye. And even also for the opinion on right direction for their local school district or um, when thinking about K-12 statewide, those also went down locally by seven percentage points since October and then by another seven points uh, when people were thinking statewide. So to me, this does seem like, you know, something to keep our eyes on. And it would be really, I think, unique to see if it goes down any further this month in December. Our new poll is going to go in the field later this week. And so that's something that we'll continue to keep our eye on. Yeah, and just as a point of reference, so yeah, the high point for the local school district back in April was 46%. So 46% of folks back in April thought that their local school district was on the right track. For the state, it was 44%. And so, yeah, so that's gone from 46% for local school district down to 33%, from 44% for the state down to 31%. So, John, what do you make of all of this? I mean, part of me says, you know, we've had a very contentious election. The coronavirus is running rampant. Maybe people are just like naturally pessimistic about the world. But, you know, I look back and it's like, could you have been possibly more pessimistic than in like March and April when, you know, they're pulling a hospital ship into New York Harbor? So I don't, was that kind of like a rally around the flag and now it's like a realization? I don't know. Like, I, I struggle to make sense of all of this. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up all those different examples. And thank you for having me back on the podcast, first off. But I see a pretty consistent narrative throughout a lot of these results, and we're going to get to a lot of these. But when you break down the results by whether the respondents are parents or non-parents, I think we get an even stronger trend here. So in our survey, we were able to ask the same question and break it down by parents or non-parents. And the drop in optimism, as significant as it is across all respondents, it is even more significant if you narrow it down to parents specifically. What that communicates to me is that it's not just the discussion about politics and it's not necessarily just covid related or, or the politics around covid or things like that i think it's a signal that maybe parents are seeing something specifically close hand the fact that parents looking at their local school districts which normally and, and still is where the, we see the most optimism among school parents confidence in their local k-12 districts dropped from 51% to a majority to 48%. Confidence in the state was 51 to 40. And then confidence nationwide dropped from 48% to 32%. That is a massive swing. And the fact that parents have such a stronger shift makes me think that they're seeing something in particular, maybe as you know, COVID was getting worse and we were thinking about, and some schools were talking about lockdowns again, or rather uh, closing down school and going entirely to virtual. Some never went on to virtual and maybe parents are getting tired or we're going to get into those results later. But I think parents are seeing something particular. It's not just external political factors. Yeah. And just to follow up with that, I think that's totally right. And that's a really good observation about where school parents are. And this is where like timing of these surveys can be so sensitive and play a factor because this poll was in the field from November 12th to the 18th. And that really coincided a lot with 
you know, what we were reading about these, you know, big districts who were going from in-person to hybrid or hybrid to remote or staying, you know, continuing remote for some time. And so it seemed like there were some decisions and more media attention that was focusing on going back to remote and these, you know, potential for lockdowns and school districts to change their policies. So that's another thing that, yeah, I would just put out there too, is the timing also, even on a monthly basis. I mean, everything's so fluid that it can really play a factor too. No, I mean, I think I'm really glad that both of you talked about parents because another big change we saw, I know, I'm just trying to think of how many times on this podcast where each month we've looked at these data and talked about them, where we've said, look, there's this really interesting finding that parents are basically evenly split on their comfort in sending kids back to school. And frankly, it was teachers too. It was basically a 50-50 split, right? We saw some 53-47, some 52-48s or whatever, but about half of parents felt comfortable sending their kids back to school. Or on the flip side, half of parents didn't. One of the things that I found interesting was that in this most recent iteration of the survey, now a majority of parents are uncomfortable with their children returning to school. There is a 12 point decrease in the total percentage of people who are comfortable from October. So now only 42% of parents, and that's, so that's taking sort of very comfortable along with somewhat comfortable. So all of the people who are comfortable, it has now dipped down to only 42% of parents feel that they are comfortable sending their children back to school. So what do we think? I mean, I think there's sort of two interesting questions to this, like what do we think is happening there? And I think both Paul and John, you both gave us some some hints into this where it's like, well, schools might be making some changes. Coronavirus cases are are on the rise, that that's happening in there. But then there's also just a general, I don't know, I mean, sort of general thought of parents' confidence in their schools, trust in the schools to be able to keep kids safe. John, when you look at this number, particularly the decreases from October, what do you see? Yeah, similarly to you know what I mentioned before is I think parents are seeing something a little bit different. And you know, some of this is due to like COVID more broadly, but I think something that has happened in the period of our survey in November that maybe hadn't had happened when we were doing the survey back in October was fall break travel and returns. And some schools, not all, and I found it difficult to necessarily track where this happens, but anecdotally, I know of some schools where COVID protocols seem to keep everything under wraps for a while. But if some parents are planning on traveling for fall break and coming back, essentially once something starts, it's harder to keep under control, if you will. And I think there's probably some parents who started experiencing that with their own kids. And some other parents who, you know, if it, even if it didn't happen with their own kids, it happens to happen to someone they knew. I don't know if that explains the entire swing because that is a pretty massive one. But to me, I mean, that's that's the biggest shift, like single point shift besides cases growing overall is when we have started seeing if there is going to be a school that does have an outbreak. It's, you kind of see a following fall break, which happened since our last poll. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, John. So it's going to be it is going to be interesting. So I, I suspect there is this kind of interaction with other things. But so each so this November wave, yeah, would pick up any kind of like post fall break kind of leeriness about or maybe potential like outbreaks and, that have occurred from people traveling for fall break or what have you. And then this is going to be something to continue watching because 
the polling that's going to go in the field here in the next week or so, that'll pick up any like post Thanksgiving break kind of considerations. And then when we do our poll in January, that'll be after the holidays and the new year. And so that could also play into or just compound over time parents like reticence to have their kids return. Yeah. And just to add to that, too, I feel like it's worth noting um, another question that we ask parents is when they think that the outbreak will be controlled enough to send their students back to in-person school. And again, for a while, we had seen a pretty even split about, you know, in the next month or two, you know, three or four months away or, you know, February, March or later. And we had seen that pretty evenly split for a while. And our results this month were unusual in that two thirds of parents said that they didn't think it was going to be safe until February or later, which easily was the most pessimistic as far as uh, presuming, you know, the feeling of, of getting back to school earlier is, is a good thing. If possible, there's, there's more pessimism now than we've ever seen before uh, as well about projections of when school will be safe. And I feel like those, as we've been saying, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I think those, those two poll answers are, are very related. Yes. Yeah, speaking of pessimism, as we're just going to keep the pessimism brain rolling here, Another kind of interesting departure from other things that we've seen is, again, something that you have heard me say if you have heard this monthly podcast over and over. One of these particularly interesting findings that we've had is how much more keen people are on homeschooling. We've asked this question, how have your opinions on homeschooling changed as a result of the coronavirus? And over the summer, we saw a huge jump. So while, you know, kind of in March, April, May, June, we were in the kind of mid-20s, so 26, 28, 26, 25, somewhere in there, up in July, it jumps up to 43%. Suddenly, 43% are very positive, so it was like the kind of highest thing they could rate. And it sort of ticked down from there. It went from 43, then it was 40, then it was 36, it held at 36. Well, the sort of bottom fell out this month, and it's down to only 27%. So it's basically right back where we started asking this question in March. So was that little blip that we saw, was was that just a sort of, again, is this like a regression to the mean thing that we're kind of going back to normal? Do we expect these things to change? Paul, what do we think happened there? Yeah, you know, Mike, I mean, I think, and this is speculation, but I wonder if there is like a fatigue that's that's happening. And so the more that parents are getting a taste for remote schooling, they associate that with homeschooling, which is very different. I mean, those are, they are, you know, different ideas uh, where remote schooling, the district still, you know, more or less controls the curriculum and the teachers are the ones who are instructing where homeschooling, conventional, traditional homeschooling, the parents, they oversee that curriculum, that instruction. But I wonder if, you know, respondents are conflating the two and so that there's this sentiment based on these experiences for those who are either hybrid or remote that they are associating that you know now a few months into the school year with homeschooling and so that we've that's one reason why perhaps have seen that drop over the last few months so john you see in the same things what do you think yeah i think this is another symptom of parents are tired (laughs) in a lot of ways and I, i do want to qualify this by by saying, I did look at this graph for a while and I compared it to the graph that we had last month. And I think specifically a large portion of the swing seems to be from the percentage of people who are, quote, much more favorable, maybe swinging to the somewhat more favorable, if you will, 
So if you combine those two categories, there's still a pretty clear majority of, of parents saying that they are favorable to homeschooling. I think we just saw an incredible level of enthusiasm for parents taking more leadership in their kids' schooling or a more active role, I should say. In June, when we were a couple months into lockdown, a lot of people were not working, were not going out to work, if you will. And you know, work schedules have shifted and things like that. And it's been it's been several months in and maybe some parents are still happy to be very involved, but, you know, maybe they're also a little tired. And so the, the enthusiasm is just not there. So I guess I should say when you look at those two numbers combined of, of much more favorable and somewhat more favorable, it dropped from 67 percent, I believe, 67 percent to 65 percent, which is still a, a pretty significant swing given the kind of stability that we've had for a while. So. I do think parents are tired, as, as, as Paul was saying, but I feel like it's worth kind of noting that a clear majority of people are still favorable to the idea, per, perhaps particularly right now, you know, especially as uh, there's also pessimism about returning to school safely. Sure. Well, I want to move on to maybe maybe we're going to try and let's move this thing in a little more positive direction where we've been doing some doom and gloom here. We're going to try and turn this. We're trying to turn this sucker around. One of the interesting questions that we asked was for asking parents, how do you feel your child is progressing during this school year? Now, obviously, this is a very difficult school year for all parties involved, regardless of sort of the learning modality that your school has chosen. But we ask these questions across three dimensions. We ask them about academic learning, we ask about emotional development, and we ask about social development. And one of the really interesting things that we found this month was just how far private schools pulled away from the pack with the rest schools. So we separate this out between charter school families, homeschooled families, private school families, and district school families. Just looking at like the academic learning numbers, right? So on average across everyone, about 29% of parents say that their children are progressing very well on academic learning measures. But for private school parents, it's 47%. And this is mirrored, you know, in emotional development, the total average is 25%, while for private schools, it's 20 points higher at 45%. And for social development, it's 27% for all parents and 45% for private school parents. So this seems to me to be a pretty positive private school story. Paul, did you see the same things there? Do we have any idea of, of what we think is happening there? Yeah, this struck me too, like the sector differences really seem to present themselves in November where we saw you know, the percentage of private school parents responding very well to the you know, academic learning, emotional, and social development. I mean, it held steady or even increased you know, a couple percentage points. But then we saw you know, just slides going down, especially for district school parents you know, from October to November, somewhat for charter school. But you do see you know, this on this graph uh, in our report that you know, there are these differences. Private school parents do seem much more optimistic about how their children are doing, at least as of right before Thanksgiving. You know, we're generally saying almost half saying they're doing very well in terms of their progress this school year on academics and emotional and social kind of indicators. Yeah, I might interrupt the the positivity train for just a, a, a moment to note John. <laughs> that um, I, I feel like it, it it is worth noting that Although a pretty decent number of people did respond that they feel like their children are progressing well academically, emotionally, and socially, 
compared to last month, there has been a pretty drastic drop in that kind of confidence across all sectors except for private schooling. So private schooling has maintained just about the same of the mid to high 40% saying that their children are progressing very well in all three ways. But with district schools and homeschoolings and charter schooling, I've all seen pretty significant drops in confidence. So I have thought about this for a while. I don't know that I have a really solid answer as to why that might be or what private schools may be doing that all three other institutions might not be. But just private schooling performing so much better than the other ones, I feel like is just a really interesting result to that. There hasn't really been enough bad news lately, so I'm really glad you were able to inject that into the conversation that we're having right now. No, I mean, I think that's actually a really interesting point of it could be that they're ho- they're just holding steady while other people are declining. And that's that's a, that's a really interesting point. And I hadn't looked back at those numbers on that. Yeah, Paul. Uh, no, I was just going to say, and Mike, I think you would be able to you know speak to this. And it's maybe even a question back at you. <laughs> but but because since you talked to private school leaders and private school entrepreneurs, my sense, and it's anecdotal and just based on what I can read and whatnot, but it seems like private schools haven't been changing their decisions to go remote the way district and perhaps even charter schools, but certainly district schools have have been going back to remote. And so I wonder if November in particular is capturing this transition that's happening in the public sector, at least among district schools, it's not maybe happening, at least at, at maybe the acceleration, you know, where private schools, you know, they're at least trying to get through this first semester as much in person as possible. And there's kind of standing pat. No, I think that's great. Listening to John and thankfully you taking some time to talk so that I can think while that's happening, I think that that would be sort of where I would go. It seems to me, and again, you're right, sort of anecdotally, I don't have systematic evidence of this, but that yeah, the private schools have kind of stayed the course. Like they haven't been changing a whole lot. They've just been kind of doing what they've been doing. In the cases that I've seen of schools closing, it's been sort of episodic and it's been sort of short in duration. It's not like someone tests positive, so we shut the school down for a week or two, but then we open back up. Like there's not some plan to completely shut schools down. They've by and large been staying open and following whatever procedures that they have and just continuing that. Whereas traditional public school districts and a lot of public charter schools have been kind of doing this dance where some are looking at the metrics that are in the broader populations. Some of them are looking at what's going on in, in the school in particular. And I think that has caused some of this yo-yoing. So it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, private schools are staying steady while other people are losing confidence. But, you know, another thing that's that's kind of interesting, I think we've been doing some of the best research in America on the pandemic pod phenomenon. It's a nice little alliteration there, starting all of those things with peace. But the pandemic pod phenomenon, and one of the things that we saw again this month was a pretty steep decline in the percentage of people identifying as participating in a pandemic pod, I believe. So we asked the question, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, are you currently participating in a quote unquote pod with other families? And we'll talk in a second that we kind of break that down to to make sure that when we use the term pandemic pod, that we're actually talking about people kind of quasi homeschooling with, with one another. But at least in answering that question, I think only 15% of respondents said that they were participating in a pod now. I think that's down something like 18 points from October. And 66% of respondents said we are not participating in a pod. And as one might imagine, that's up about 15 points from 
October. So are pods dead or pods not a thing anymore? Was that just a temporary thing that's happening? Are we not going to continue to hear about the pod people or whatever term that we've tried to figure out awkwardly to describe the people that are doing this thing? John, what do you think? Is this the death knell of pandemic pods? That's such a good question, especially considering that the number of people who say that they're interested in or looking for pods hasn't changed. That 19% both this month and last month. So apparently people think they would have found one by now. (laughs) You think they would have found one by now, but you know, apparently once you get into one, you 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 tire out of it and you drop out. I don't. I'm I'm not quite sure. It is it is interesting to see because so many of our other numbers regarding the pods have maintained you know consistency a fair bit, including the number of people who see it as a supplement to regular schooling. And so maybe maybe to me, again, my narrative for a lot of these answers are maybe parents are tired because parents, you know, play a pretty heavy role in, in, in pods a lot of the time. So if parents are just tired, then something supplemental that involves them being heavily involved might be the first part of their kid's education to go. You will take out the supplemental additional stuff as well, where initially you have the energy and you have the creativity and you have the ability to find these programs, find these co-ops, find these pods to participate in. And then it's kind of you're, at some point you want to just make sure that the bare essentials are, are getting taken care of a fair bit. And I feel like it's worth noting too, I don't know if this is jumping the gun a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that there was a very strong overlap between when you look at the demographics and income levels and such of people who are interested in pods and people who are interested in tutoring for their kids, there's a very strong overlap between kind of resonating with people who see pods as supplemental and something additional to boost their kids' academic experience above and beyond what they might get standard. But yeah, and we didn't ask about whether tutoring has gone up or down, but I think just kind of reinforcing this idea of, hey, people see this as additional and maybe people are just tired and not able to do that as much as they used to. But people who haven't done it yet think that they do have that energy. And so we'll see what that looks like in the future. Yeah. And so, Paul, before getting your thoughts, yeah, another interesting sort of stat as we started doing recently, trying to hone in on what exactly it means when someone says that they're participating in a pod. So the breakdown of the people who said they're participating in a pod 75% of them said that that is in addition to and supplementing regular schooling. So by and large, we imagine that those are people who are, you know, they're, they're doing virtual learning from their traditional public school, but they're just doing it all in one family's home with a few other people. Only 25% said that it is in fact a substitute. Now, interestingly, on the flip side of that, when we look at the people who are looking to form a pod, only 62% said that they want it in addition. 38%, which I believe is up from last month, these are people who are looking for a substitute. So they're looking basically to start like a little micro school, a little kind of hybrid homeschool thing that's happening there. And so looking at both what John was just talking about, about the demographics, looking at the broader trends, looking at what's going on in there, what is your kind of takeaway on all the stuff that we're doing on pandemic pods? Yeah, you know, so I think that parents are tired and maybe that you know pods are one of the first things to kind of go that john had mentioned i think that's one potential scenario another one i wonder is if and this is definitely anecdotal and just what things reading and like even chatting with other parents in our school district either participated in pods or they're switching and and there have been switches because of quarantining 
And so that quarantining and that sort of effect and contact tracing has had an effect on like pods and like their stability. And so it could be, you know, so that if they are, they're changing of hands or like from parent to, you know, maybe one set of parents took on pods one month and another set of parents took on the, you know, most of those kids, but maybe some new ones the next month, they might be the respondents, the parents who are answering this question might respond a different way, or maybe they're in that transition that they are looking for a pod. And it also, Mike, you pointed out on the percentages who are supplementing or actually trying to replace or substitute regular schooling. So those numbers have switched. So like in October, it was 85% who said they were supplementing compared to, you know, this month where we saw it go down to 75%. So now that we have a larger percentage of potters <laughs> who are actually replacing or substituting their regular schooling, I wonder if that's having some sort of impact or interaction here. And that might explain why the overall numbers, you know, the 15%. So, and yeah, and then tutoring, as John had mentioned, we saw the dip in tutoring from October to November as well by, I think it was nine percentage points. And so of uh, those who said that they were at least very likely or somewhat likely to tutor this year. And so the flaring pods and the tutoring responses seem to be correlating in some way there as well. So look, we could talk about this stuff all day. I obviously recommend everybody to check to head to um what edchoice.morningconsultintelligence.com i hope i'm doing that correctly from memory but that's where we have all of our most recent results if you go on the website you go in the upper right hand corner there's a tab called resource downloads the full report that we put out every month it's like i don't know 80 or 90 slides you also get we publish the cross tabs so for those of you that maybe are listening to this and say well i want to know what if this do men or women or people from different racial ethnic groups or people from different income strata, are they answering these questions differently? We publish all of that stuff. Researchers dig into these things. It's all sort of open and out there for you. We also publish the full questionnaire. So if you have any questions about how questions are worded or you want to know any of those things, sort of completely transparent on all of those things. But the last question I have for, for you two gentlemen is I think one of the interesting trends that we've also seen, just looking at the kind of education system in general, is that we ask a question, again, a pretty common question in education surveys about school funding, right? So we ask the question, do you believe that public school funding in your state is too high or too low? I think we maybe even add in the sort of the about right option. And the kind of fun thing that we do for folks is that we ask that question, but then we'll also give the information. We'll actually say how much on average should they spend in their state, and we'll see if there are differences between the two. And I think as we've said on this podcast, and people that are familiar with education polling will know there's a big gap between those two. People, generally speaking, will say too low until they find out how much it is, and then you'll lose 10 or 20 points of, of support for those things. Now, this is something that we've consistently found. So when we asked this question back in January, 64% of Americans just unprompted said that it was too low. But when we actually gave them the spending figure for their state, it dropped down to just 40%, so right, a 24% drop. But one of the things that I found interesting is that throughout the course of this year, so again, we've been asking this question since January, throughout the course of this year, just the without information number has just consistently ticked down every month. I guess there was a little little uptick in kind of August and September, but we started in January, 64% of people said it was too low. When we asked this question in November, only 51%. So we saw throughout the course of this year, a 13 percentage point drop. Now, interestingly, we saw a corresponding drop even when folks get information. So in January, it started at 40%. 
We actually saw this really interesting spike in April, which maybe shouldn't surprise us when there's a lot of conversation about the CARES Act and all that sort of stuff. But then a pretty precipitous decline from that and sort of holding steady. So it started the year at 40%. It ended the year at only 32%. So I'm kind of actually fascinated with this because I think there's been a lot of conversation about school funding. There's been a lot of conversation about, you know, do schools have the money that they need for PPE or to do distance learning well or any of those things. But Americans don't really seem to think that schools need more money, even with all this discussion. And again, whether we just ask them generally about it, whether we give them the actual number, I mean, those numbers just have trended downward all year. So, Paul, and again, you've been looking at these numbers when we do the Schooling in America survey and all of those things. What do you see from those trend lines? Did any of that stuff surprise you? What do you make of it? Yeah, you know, so I, I mean, this is it, it's interesting where we tend to see, and this this is a question as you've mentioned that we've been asking for a really long time in our national polling and in our state polling too, and that gap between the percentages saying too low, those with information or without, has generally been between like fifteen to twenty five percentage points, whether national or some of these state level polls that we do, and the chart that we have in the report. I mean, that gap is pretty persistent. So it's been roughly around 20 percentage points, that gap, and it, and it's and staying there. But it is interesting that even without the information, that half sample, they, not having the statistic, that half say that it's about right or even too high, which is a pretty, you know, pretty small percentage. But that's almost half who are saying it's about 50-50 right now. And this has implications, I think, with all the talk around this next stimulus and, you know, to what extent K-12 education will be part of this next stimulus package and, and what are maybe the conditions that will be tied to additional funding, you know, heading into next year. And certainly states at the state level, this is going to dominate, I would imagine, those budget discussions as legislative sessions kick into full swing by the end of January. And so this is, this will be really important See, I had a conversation even with legislators and other folks last week where it's part of a conversation just to say that information really matters and it does affect people's views on school funding. And just that educational component really means a lot. So it'll be interesting to see the next few months if we see any trends one way or the other as these budget discussions really start. I'll be interested to see that too to see come the spring, come late winter when legislatures are in session and maybe more local politics starts taking over local news cycles, whether this will change. Because I'll make a comment starting by a personal anecdote. So I I spent a lot of time at the Indiana State Capitol last year, and we had this big Red for Ed event, as I believe many other states did in November, of a, a lot of teachers and people supporting teachers coming to the state capitol and and I don't know if protesting is the right word, but but supporting increases in teacher pay and some other policy changes. But one of the big ones was increases in teacher pay, for example, an education finance thing. There's a lot of momentum toward increasing education financing here in Indiana. It was a non-budget year, and so it was pretty easy to kind of shove that off and, and say, we'll address this in a budget year. Well, now we're in a budget year or they're about to start a legislative session during a budget year where they have more flexibility to change school funding, if you will. But now there's a lot of other things on everyone's plate. There's a lot of other things on people's mind. Social distancing requirements prevent something massive like Red for Ed from happening. So when I see this number is maybe there was just a lot of momentum 
from things like, because I know it just wasn't just Indiana, from things like Red for Ed that carried over to January of 2020 at the beginning of legislative session. And as time passed, the fervor died a little bit, not entirely. People still have their opinions, but it, but you know the, the pretty noticeable decline. And we're not seeing it rise again because the average person has 100 things that they're thinking about above this kind of local politics matter. So like Paul said, it'll be interesting to see whether this changes as discussions uh, pick up as the legislature's in session. But you know, information matters, and I feel like we're just drowning in it and, and a lot of things that aren't education finance. The average person is anyway. So that that's what I see. Well, Jens, it's been great talking to you. Again, for those of you listening, head to edchoice.morningconsultintelligence.com to get all of the relevant information. And again, you can find all of the resources that we made available. As sample sizes grow, we're actually creating state-specific pages where if you're interested in what these opinions are, looking at your individual state. Now we've, we've administered this enough times that we can start to get an idea of what folks in individual states are looking like. So all of that stuff is on is on the website. If you all have interest in, in other questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You know, we're always, given the kind of episodic nature of the survey that we do, we ask some questions in every survey and we ask other ones based on what's going on in the world. Obviously, that's been a lot of coronavirus related stuff. But if there are other questions that are out there, we're always brainstorming, spitballing, trying to figure out what else to put on there. But until then, you know, looking forward to chatting with you all next month. We'll see if some of these trends hold. We'll see if these trends change. But until then, everyone take care, stay safe, and look forward to talking to you again on another edition of EdChoice Chats.